Tuesday, the 18th of May, 2021. During this time, this opportunity to sit in meditation and also to listen to the Dhamma as well. So this act of meditating, of making the mind firmly established is very important. Because with that firm establishment of mind, then when we listen to the Dhamma, we can gain a clear understanding into these teachings of truth. How we understand that will become clearer and clearer. And so bringing the mind to a firm, stable place gives us a very important energy. You see that there are these different kinds of energies or powers in the spiritual practice. There's that of faith, that of persistence or effort, that of mindfulness, of samadhi, and of wisdom. And these are all palas, these are all powers. They give us the energy to understand the Dhamma. So we see that for some people, all it took was listening to a teaching one time, and they could gain some stage of awakening. They could reach Sotapanna a stream entry, or sakadagami, anagami, or arahantship. And there were many, many people like this. And for others, they may uh, not have reached one of these levels, but they became firmly established in their faith and their respect towards the triple gem. And why is this? Why does listening to the Dhamma bring different results for different people? Well, it's because our parami, our spiritual maturity or virtues, differ as well. So we can compare it to like having a glass of water, uh, but there are different amounts of water within different glasses. So say for one glass, there's just a very small amount right at the bottom, and so it'll take quite a long time to fill that glass up with water. But if the glass is one uh, quarter filled, um, then they listen to the Dhamma one time and they see into the Dhamma, they see into uh, Sotapanna. If it's half filled, uh, then they reach Sakatagami. If it's three quarters, then it's Anagami. And if the glass is completely full, then they reach the stage of Arahantship, of complete awakening. So to get there, that shows that their samadhi is full, complete already. And they listen to the Dhamma one time, contemplate that teaching, and they're able to attain to some state. Like for some people, the first teaching they hear, they can reach Sotapanna, stream entry. And on the second teaching, Arahantship. And for Venerable Yasa, this was the case for him. And he later on became one of the great disciples of the Buddha. Uh, but before his ordination, before he met the Buddha, he was born into a very wealthy family. But he became weary with that wealth, weary with that kind of pleasure that he found. And he saw the female attendants um, who were sleeping around him, uh, just like corpses left in a charnel ground. And um, so before that, he had this great pleasure that he found in the various uh, sights and sounds and uh, tastes 
odors, tactile sensations. Uh, but when his samadhi became firm and gathered together, and then he could see reality. He could see the true states arising. It was many days that he saw this, and that he saw the people around him in this way. Uh, they were sleeping just like dead corpses. But knowledge, jnana, it hadn't yet arisen for him. One day, however, this clear knowing, this clear knowledge appeared, and so was there within his heart. His heart became very firm in that knowledge, and he became weary. He could see that these bodies are not beautiful, just arising and ceasing. The conditions, they just do that. They just come and they go. They're things that are always changing. And so this was a kind of knowledge coming up for him, vipassana, jnana, that was arising. So we see that jnana, it's this clear knowledge, and it comes from having firm samadhi and being well established in sila. So the sila is collectedness, restraint of body and of speech, and he was firmly established in this. And so we could see in this way, and his barami was full already. Perceiving the world around him in this light, he became weary with that, and so he searched for a path out, a path that could free him from suffering. He'd already seen the noble truth of suffering. And so the Buddha taught him in a way that allowed him to understand into the nature of dana, generosity, and sila, virtue. And he understood this clearly, uh, because his mind was already very peaceful, he already had very high level of samadhi. His sila, his virtue, was something that was well established. And so he could see the happiness of having sila, of being generous. He could see that even though he had this wealth previously, um, there wasn't any knowledge that could lead him out of that suffering. He saw suffering, it was apparent to him, but he didn't know how he could get free from it, how he could escape. He saw that when we're generous, when we're virtuous, then we have happiness. But the Buddha taught him further than this as well. He taught him into the nature of change, how things are always moving, how they're not sure. He encouraged him to practice, to train his mind. He taught him about the nature of suffering, how it arises due to the clinging, the craving that we have. An understanding arose, he saw into the Dhamma with clarity. And then later on the Buddha taught his mother and father, and both of his parents gained stream entry, but Venerable Yasa himself gained arahantship. We see that his barami was full already. So it wasn't too difficult for him. He already had these powers there imbuing his heart, and they're already complete. His faith, his persistence, his mindfulness, his samadhi, his wisdom, were already full within his heart. And these qualities, they come up through our training, through our practice. And so some people ask, well, why are some people different, and how are people different? The Buddha, for example, when he was born, he had a very strong body. And just after he was born, he was able to take seven steps. 
and the muscles in his body were very strong, so he could walk. Or another way we could look at that is that this happened through the energy of his mind. You see that if people gain very deep states of samadhi, they're able to levitate, they're able to pick up their bodies with the power of their samadhi. Or if we're going to speak of it in another way, we could see how the Buddha had kindness and compassion to go around uh, the Indian continent, subcontinent, and spread the Dhamma. But if we try to think about it using uh, kind of normal thoughts, they just won't reach, they won't be able to comprehend it. And so these principles of the Dhamma, they're very important principles. We see that people differ because the amount of merit that they've created, the amount of barami that they've built, differs as well. So some people ask, well, why do some people see the Dhamma quickly? Other people see it very slowly. There are some just one time and they can attain to the Dhamma. And other people, they have to listen many, many times in order for them to reach awakening. Some people know quickly, some people know slowly. They differ in this way. And so it doesn't also necessarily depend on how close we are to very wise or noble beings. Like Venerable Channa, um, he was very close to the Buddha. He served the Buddha before his ordination. Um, but even so, it took him a very long time for him to realize the Dhamma. Uh, but for the Buddha's left and right-hand disciples, Venerable Sariputta, Venerable Mahamogalana, it didn't take them very long. They didn't have to stay around the Buddha for very long until they could reach arahantship. They were able to gain these special knowledges and psychic powers. And so it depends upon the different barami that we create. And uh, this is true for all the people who are born into the world, that everyone differs differs in terms of how strong their mindfulness is, how much wisdom they have. And sometimes we want everyone else to be just like us. Sometimes we want for ourselves to be like other people. But this isn't possible. And because we differ, the amounts of effort that we have, the energy that we have, this differs as well. And it's normal for it to be different in this way. So it depends upon what we've accumulated in the past. For those who have accumulated just a few or a little bits of spiritual qualities, they really need to put their efforts and set their hearts on training themselves well so they can get more of them, to not be heedless, to really bring up this will to train, to put an effort like this, to be heedful. And this is what will take us to seeing the Dhamma. Because the opportunity that we have right now is the best opportunity we're going to come across in this lifetime. We've met with the Dhamma. And if we don't see the Dhamma, if we don't come across the Dhamma, rather, then we'll probably be lost or be deluded. We just get amused by and distracted in the things of the world. And we see that nowadays there are so many things in this world that can take us astray that can distract us, that our minds become engrossed in. And it happens so quickly. It's so easy for us to become lost in the sights and the sounds, the flavors, uh, the tactile sensations of this world. 
or the things that we find pleasurable, that we find delight in. Or people become deluded in their bodies, thinking that they're youthful and strong. And we think that they're strong, but actually these things, they're not sure. And for some people, when they suffer, actually that suffering can lead to the arising of wisdom. Uh, because if they don't suffer, then for most people they don't try to find a way out of suffering. That it's only when the stress, when pain arises, that they try to find a path that can free them from that. For some people they are so stressed, they develop insomnia, they can't get to sleep. And they ask, why? Why is this happening to me? Or for some, they're afraid. They're afraid in their occupations. Or for children, they can be afraid in their studies, anxious that they won't be able to pass their examinations. Then when they go into the workforce, they become fearful about their work, that it won't be accepted by their superiors, that their work isn't up to scratch. And so they have this fear there. Or they may fear old age, they may be afraid of sickness and of death. Especially now that we see that so many people are dying, this can give rise to a lot of fear. can be afraid that we'll get this uh, COVID virus. And because there isn't really a, a certain medicine that can cure it yet. And even some people, they get better, but the virus has a long-term painful effect on their bodies. And so many people are in this situation, and they suffer in this way. And things aren't like what they were before, that now the hospitals over most of the planet are filled to capacity, and there's no space free. But before, whenever we got sick, then there would always be a hospital that would be happy to receive us but now there aren't any beds that are free. And there's often not enough equipment to help treat the patients, and the doctors don't have enough free time. But if we have wisdom, we'll look at the situation and ask ourselves, why are we afraid of it? And we'll see that what we're afraid of is death. Or perhaps we'll be afraid that we'll become permanently disabled, just like how some people are afraid of this vaccine. And that's what happens if they don't have wisdom. They can be afraid of vaccines. Uh, but for those people who have wisdom, they'll see the drawbacks in being afraid. Um, they'll see that if they don't get the vaccine, then uh, maybe they will... Oh, sorry, if they don't get the vaccine, then they'll that other people, they'll just be afraid. They'll be afraid of COVID. But if they get the vaccine, then they're afraid of becoming disabled. And this fear, it's an instinct that all humans and animals are born with. The instinct to escape from danger. But why are we afraid? It's because we're afraid of death. We're afraid that we'll be separated from the things that we like and that we love. And this body is something that all of us love. And we also, when we're born, we have um, relations as well. We have brothers and we have sisters. We have friends. We have 
mothers and fathers, a wife and a husband, I mean, develop a family. And we may get a lot of wealth and everything externally in our life can be very complete. But one day we're going to have to leave all of these things. And so fear arises that we'll be separated from what we've gained. But we see that no matter how afraid we are of it, we're still going to have to get separated all the same. It's just the delusion has already arisen in the heart and we've already clung on to these things. And we don't want to be parted from them. We want to stay with all of these things that we find pleasurable forever. And, but if we were able to stay forever, then would that actually be a good thing? Wouldn't there be, be a lot of problems that arise? If there were just births and no death, then how would we be able to survive together on this planet? We see that nowadays, with the number of people that there are, it's very difficult for us to live together because there are so many people and the global population is increasing. And um, it's natural that this will have a damaging effect. We see that in a hundred years, that all of the seven billion inhabitants of this planet will be dead. Uh, but the world will still be full of people, and that's because of the new births that happen. But every birth must lead to death. Everyone who is born must die. It's just that the number of births, the birth rate, is higher than the death rate, so the global population is increasing. And that's what brings about illnesses like this, pandemics like this. And so we can see that it's a form of karma that we've created. So for some people, they don't want to die due to this uh, COVID virus. And maybe they, uh, they get their mothers and fathers to get a vaccine because they're afraid that their parents will die. Uh, but they end up by dying before their parents. And these things, they're not sure. But death is something that is sure. So when jnana comes up, then we gain clarity of vision. We see things clearly. We see into the nature of conventions. We see into liberation. And the mind becomes empty. And just like how I've explained previously, the mind gathers together. And we see into the nature of this body and all material things as being empty. We see how really there's no names. There's no self. There's no other. And the heart fills up with joy. And it really feels a deep um, resonance with the teachings of the Buddha that these teachings are definitely real. But for myself, um, before I practiced, I was um, deluded, just like other people. But it was when suffering came up that I tried to find a path out of this. And so this path that the Buddha taught is the path that takes us to freedom, that allows our hearts to become free. This path of dana sila bhavana, of generosity, of virtue and of meditation, or sila samadhi panya, of virtue, of collectedness of mind and of wisdom. It's the, path, it's the path that we should follow, that which will take us to seeing and meeting with the Dhamma, that can solve all of the suffering that we experience. 
And as we practice, then the amount of fear that we experience becomes less. Perhaps before we were very fearful, very anxious people. But as we steadily practice, then the level of anxiety that we experience drops. And this depends upon our practice. It depends upon our barami. So some people have great barami, some people little barami, and this differs between people. But no matter what the case, we all need to put an effort. We all need to try to practice, to think, to contemplate, seeing into the nature of all physicality and mentality, contemplating anicca, dukkha, anatta, how things are always changing, how they're stressful, how they're not self. And so the wisdom can arise. And when this really does come up, then we gain this knowledge, this clear knowledge, and our faith becomes unshakable in the Buddha sasana. And for all of us, we already have this faith in generosity, in virtue, and in meditation already. And as we carry on practicing, then this grows deeper and more well-established in stages. And we slowly see anicca, dukkha, anatta with clarity. Joy arises and fills up our hearts. And so we take our minds to contemplating the body. Or we can have mindfulness at the mind and seeing the nature of the thinking that goes on, how it all arises and ceasing. Everything that comes up in the heart comes and goes. All the happiness, all the sadness that we've experienced in the past, even the joy that we experience in meditation, this too is a quality that arises and ceases. And uh, we see that there's nothing there at all that we can really attach to, because we see everything changing, it all coming and going. And so we ask ourselves, well, what can I attach to here? Everything, all of the material things, all of the mental things, they all come and go, they all arise and cease. So it's coming up close to Visaka Puja now, which is on the 26th of May. So it's just eight days away. And this is a very important day for the world. And we can call it International Peace Day. It's the day that the wisdom of the Buddha arose in the world. And if we didn't receive this light of wisdom from the Buddha, then we wouldn't know this path that can lead us out of suffering. And so we're very lucky uh, to have this opportunity to practice. And so we should use that well. We should practice well. We should study and so may all of you be really sincere in this. May you take it for real, this practice. Have a lot of mindfulness and bring up mindfulness often. Knowing, being aware of the body of the postures when you're standing, sitting, walking, lying down. Knowing the nature um, of what one is doing constantly. Chanting it to be so. And do this a lot. And don't just allow the mind to follow its thoughts. Don't just allow it to go off and proliferate and get all confused and stirred up. But just carry on practicing, carry on cultivating the mind. And in the end, you will see the Dhamma. And so may all of you set your hearts on practicing together. <laughs>